Listeners, I have titled this episode part one and two. That's because part two was released a week later. However, I've decided however I've decided to bring part two into this episode at the end just to make the flow a bit more seamless. Hope you enjoy. Kingsters, it's Michael, the host of Beneath and Reimagined. I hope you've been well. I today wanted to walk through some of the conditions that I'm finding myself in that are leading me towards offering money to men, and particularly straight men, and how I've sort of ended up in this position at this moment in my life. Yeah, so quite a big one. Before I do, please rate the podcast, leave a comment. It really, really helps. So let's get into it. First and foremost, there's always been an interest in straight men for me. Why that is, I mean, we can ask why endlessly, but I know for me that there is some form of internalized homophobia. There's that kind of belief that straight men are better, etc. And that's drilled into me, or like more superior, more more proper. And that's built into me through, you know, childhood and my adolescence. So you can go in different directions with that. People can completely see the logic in that, which is that everyone's equal, or other people can carry on some of that belief system in them. And I'm one of these people. Like, don't get me wrong, this is just in the sexual realm. It's nothing outside of that. I work with heterosexual men, homosexual men, and the conversation of power and superiority and inferiority don't even come into it. It's not even a, a thing on the table. And many times I've felt much more able and confident. And if we're going to use those terms of superior, inferior, I felt more superior than my heterosexual comrades. This is just in the sexual domain. Um, but that doesn't discount the weight of meaning it has or it can have. Listeners, I've just gone over this episode and I don't think I did well enough to explain why straight men particularly. I think there's obvious understandings of straight is the quote right way to go and that's fed by society and culture. It's the predominant sexuality and position on most of our social media. And also that is parallel to the bullying that I received during high school from straight men being teased about being gay. So there wasn't any interventions or any resistance towards that by anyone around me. So of course the thought system is something like, I am something that is not right and straight men is something that is right. It's as simple as that. So that's the internalized homophobia. It's wrong to be gay, and therefore straight is the right way to go. So that's probably a bit more clear in terms of why straight men are becoming more desirable. Also, there is that masculine archetype that I have towards straight men as the what I call the Tyler Durden effect, which I explored in season two, which is the 
unconflicted, emotionless, stoic person who is stable. And then if I look at my self and my interior world, I see myself as the opposite, unstable, thinks a lot, too empathetic, which has its you know, pluses, obviously, and I, I love the person I am. But on a very primitive level, there is a desire to be around people who are incredibly confident and, quote, seen as the right kind of direction to be in, i.e. straight. So in wanting to worship straight men, there are those two layers which come into it. And there is a surrender into that masculine power. On that primitive level, it's like, yeah, you're the right position to be in. And I know I'm not that, so I'm just going to give everything I can to you because you're what is meant to be. Now, again, that's just shame talking, absolute shame and society and culture talking, at least how it came to me. Um, I was bullied a lot in high school, absolutely a lot. Very much the outcast. Um, and yeah, so that's what I think is the layer of straightness. Uh, it's a desire to of wanted to be like them, but an acknowledgement that I could never be it. So the next best thing is to worship that. So that's the narrative that I'm hoping to look more into and untangle with the therapist I'm currently seeing. And also, I mentioned this a bit more in the episode of a hierarchy. So a hierarchy forms as a result of that. Very simply, straight men are superior, gay men are inferior. It's that simple primitive hierarchy, which again is untrue, but it has been ingrained on a primitive level. That's how I understand it. Then there are subcategories. So bi would be in the middle. There could be other words like fag, object, it. That could all be lower. And then you have alpha, beta. All of these kind of words are ways of understanding a, a, a hierarchy amongst this um, masculine order, which is <laughs> uh, so destructive, but also so arousing and very much our species. We love hierarchy and we love this. I think we, I think what we need to remember about this is that we're working with an animal perspective here. We're talking about hierarchy. Well, that's, I don't know if that's fair to say, but that's how I'm interpreting at the moment. So yeah, this kind of language, by the way, and this framework is everywhere in the kink community when you're talking about humiliation, degradation, alpha, sub, beta, all those terms, fag, the hierarchy, it it all is a framework that's used so much. Many of the clients I've had have wanted me to call them specific things that belong to this hierarchy. So it's not something that I've kind of come up with myself. It's something that I've taken from the King community. And again, there's no shame in that at all. I just want to make sure that I'm coming to it from a place that is understood and not a place that is coming to it that is wounded. I don't know if that's the right word to use, but yeah. Yeah, and I, I use it a lot. I've used it a lot with people. People use it to me, and as I said, it's very arousing. It's, it's, it's yeah, it's something else. It's You can really tell when you're in that kind of dialogue with someone and we're using those words and we're talking about belonging to a certain part of the hierarchy. You can really tell that something is active in our psyche. Undoubtedly, it's so activated. 
It's so understood and familiar that we keep coming back to it and using it because it just livens up the sexual circuitry within us. Now, because I jumped in here, it's going to kind of go back to the episode and bit disjointed, so I apologize for that. So, yeah, that's quite interesting. Now, there's a few things that are happening that I'm noticing. Uh, One is that my particular kink of worshipping trainers... So for some of you, it could be being tied up. For some of you, it could be a certain noise. For some of you, it could be objects. For some of you, it could be certain phrases. So the particular kink, for me, is quite hard to satisfy. Welcome to the world of non-vanilla, says my therapist. So if you have a very specific desire, it's very hard to find it. And not only find it, but find it with the person that you actually are attracted to. So I've had many people saying, yep, you can come and worship my trainers and I'll degrade you. I'll throw humiliation at you. But I found I'm not that attracted to you, (laughs) which plays a big role. For me, it does anyway. So that's one barrier is that my particular kink is not being met or satisfied. So that puts me in this place of urgency of, not urgency, but a place of feeling unsatisfied, to put it that simple. So money then becomes a way of acquiring that particular fetish manifesting. It's a way of making it happen. Now, there's more to this than just a thirst for what I desire. There's also a layer of shame around what I desire. Now, being humiliated, degraded, and into an object or a body part is incredibly typical. I know that I've in this show I've interviewed people who have had comparatively much more severe interests or much more esoteric interests. So I know that what I'm after is actually quite common and it's pretty much accepted within the kink community. I don't disagree with that at all. What I feel is that I always have had a felt sense of obligation by the person in front of me. So when there is a consenting person who says, yep, I'll do it. You can worship my trainers and I'll humiliate you. I feel that they are obligated. And then my ability to to arrive in session in play is compromised because I just think, well, you're really kind of being polite. You may get off on it, definitely, but it's this this kind of once and you wouldn't ever want to kind of keep on doing it. So there's this real obligation around having to satisfy that, which really does ruin it for me. You know, I kind of want someone who's into it and I'm attracted to that I can actually engage with. Because I see myself as so empathetic and intuitive, I do really connect with, are they actually enjoying this? And if they're not, it just cuts it short for me. I don't get as aroused. 
So there's the layer of the need not being met increasingly over time. There's another layer of they feel obligated and a way for me to offset that is to offer money. Money is a way that I can feel that they are getting something out of this. I don't want to give money. I don't like giving money. It's just, there's nothing else. Now I say this like I've been doing this a lot and I really haven't. But the, I think two or three people I've explored this with, it's a way of me just feeling, I can do what I actually want to do. I can do what I actually desire and not feel that tremendous guilt that the other person doesn't really want to be there. Or if they do feel that they don't really want to be there and not into it, then at least they're getting something out of it. So it's a way to mitigate that feeling of being a burden. So that's the second thing. And this speaks to a bigger picture that I'm exploring currently with my therapist of how I experience sex generally. So most of the time, here's an example actually, a few days ago I met up with this very attractive guy. He seemed very much into me and was all for it. But the dialogue in my head was, I can't believe they're actually into me. I can't believe they actually like me. And when they are like against my body and kissing and touching, I just find it so surprising that they are (laughs) uh, into me. That's the narrative of what's going on most of the time. It's just, it's like I, I watch myself having sex and thinking, God, wow, I never thought this. Like, why would, do they really mean this? It's like, it's so surprising. What's going on? <laughs> the irony is the amount of atten- concrete attention I get on apps in person is quite high. It's really to say it's high. Um, this is not to boast. This is just to point out a fact. Whenever I log on Grinder, I will easily get a thousand plus views. It used to be within a day. So my profile is collecting a thousand plus views in the day. Now it's more like in a week. <laughs> so I'm getting older. But the that that's one way of illustrating that the people are interested in me uh, aesthetically, and I get a lot of messages and a lot of likes. I think it's like thirty taps uh, within an hour. It is one once I I once when I actually was curious, I just looked at it. Now this isn't obviously every hour, all the hour. People see your profile and once you don't respond, they stop they stop hinting, but. It's, it's very common. And also, the feedback I get from, uh, you know, Facebook stories, etc. But also the fact that people want to pay me and have paid me repetitively because of the way I look is just a very concrete example of the power of my aesthetic. So this is 
the contradiction, one part of me can physically see why I'm attractive and why people desire me. Absolutely. No doubt about it. I look at myself in the mirror and I think, yeah, you're you're a handsome guy. Like, yeah. And then another part of me is in disbelief that someone is actually attracted to me or wants to be kissing me or wants to be touching me and holding me. It is so polar opposite. It's just quite boggling. So what that suggests is that there is a belief system deep down inside that I am unlovable or unwanted. Now, this isn't something very particular and exclusive. This is a very fundamental belief that I think a lot of people have. That belief of why would anyone want me? It's kind of, it's a low self-esteem narrative. I'm unlovable. Um, I'm unstable. Once you see the real me, you won't really love me. It's a very common, common narrative. And this is what I'm doing on this show is I want to take you through my process of untangling that narrative and see what it looks like. So the content of what I've been speaking about just now, I've been discussing with my therapist. I saw my therapist today and this stuff came out. So it's kind of the first steps in trying to see where does this belief come from and how does it interfere with sex now and what would sex look like without this belief system. So that's the journey we're on and I want to take you all with me. So if you are a person who is struggling with low self-worth, low self-esteem, low self-image, believe that you are unlovable, then join me as I untangle and you may discover a few things about yourself and help yourself. So that layer also contributes to why I feel I would need to pay someone to really feel comfortable in intimacy because then at least I know that they get something you know it can't be me what they want it can't be what I do for them what I do to them that they actually want it has to be something else and it has to be the money now again and there's no the thing is there's no problem in paying for sex this is a very clear message from my therapist and I believe that I really do however for me the intention or the place that I am coming from, if I want to exchange money, I feel is from a place of insecurity and low self-worth rather than empowerment and confidence because people can pay for sex to get what they want. And that's absolutely fine. I would prefer, I can see the logic in a person paying for what they want, when they want it, where they want it, rather than scrolling aimlessly for hours on all those dating apps to get something a bit mediocre. I can completely see the logic in that. And of course they say sex work is the oldest job in the in the world. But I'm interested in changing this narrative, this belief system in me to something that's more helpful. I also feel my age and 
understand that with age, there is a type of beauty that comes, but also a type of youth, youthful beauty that dissipates. And therefore, the person in front of me would not want me even more uh, because I'm getting older. <laughs> All these little layers. That's a very small layer. That's a very small percentage. I don't buy into that too much, but I can see how it feeds it at least. So, yeah. There is a slight humiliative effect that I get if I have to pay for it. And that is slightly arousing. But it's not the core reason why I do it. Some people are into Findom because they find the act of paying to be degraded highly arousing and humiliating. That's part of their process of arousal. And that is, that's absolutely fine. For me, it doesn't seem to come from there. I'm much more interested in finding someone that I could do what I desire with sexually and not have to compensate for the lack of reciprocated interest through money or the sense that there's lack of interest. I recently met up with a straight guy uh, for the second time. I've met him twice over, I think, four, five months. And I paid him to let me worship him. The exchange of money was slightly arousing to a straight guy because it bought into that belief system of there's a hierarchy and um, fags on the bottom, or there's objects, there's fags, there's gay, bi, straight. So that's a loose description, a simplified description, but there's a hierarchy there. And there's a bit of humiliation paying for that. Um, but it's not enough to be properly aroused by or as the driver. Yeah. Anyway. So yeah, there's a lot there, but I think fundamentally what I want to say about this episode is that if I find myself in a position where I want to offer money, it's because I am feeling that the person doesn't really want to be there. And I feel that they're obligated to be there. And it's a way to, again, as I said, mitigate that awkwardness. Also to add that there is an exhaustion in searching, searching, searching. And then that leads to what can I do to get what I'm desiring here? Yeah. So I think I'll leave it there. Just a quick check-in. And we'll see where this takes us. Thank you for listening, everyone. Remember to just rate the show. Any feedback, comments, please send me an email in the link below. Take care. And now time for part two. Hello listeners, welcome back. Hope you enjoyed the last episode. I also wanted to continue that conversation by adding another layer into what conditions are what conditions I can see are happening that are making me go more into that direction. So a huge layer that I haven't spoken about is that I'm going through a breakup or I have had a breakup. And I'm in the aftermaths of that. 
it's a particularly painful period of time and the breakup has activated a lot of the beliefs that I was speaking about in the episode before, i.e. I can't connect, I am too complicated, my kinks are too specific, sex is abstract. <laughs> so these belief systems have can take the spotlight for why it ended and on most days I discount them and I don't buy into it, but on difficult days they are much more loud and present and therefore I can see why when I am entrenching myself in those narratives the appeal of falling into that negative self-worth is much more attractive. So paying men, straight men, is a safe space because it is so... I don't even want to say paying because that's not, that's not part of it. That's the, that's one layer, that's one way of achieving it, but ultimately worshipping straight men. That's the, that's the foundation. Paying is just what you have to do because obviously straight men don't want to be worshipped particularly. Anyway, I want to get into that direction. I think you know what I mean. So worshipping straight men is a direct result of living in those narratives of superiority, the framework of hierarchy. I shouldn't be gay, that internalized homophobia. So that's the place I live in on particularly low days. And of course, then that would lead to wanting to worship straight men. So I've, yeah, I hope that wasn't too complicated. Rewind it if, if it was, <laughs> I'm being lazy. Um, it'll come to me in a sec. But what I did realize was that during the relationship, I had the urge at times to want to worship straight men. And I really found it helpful because it was an indicator for me that my sexual needs weren't being met. Now, my sexual needs are met at times when I have sex, but I'm talking about, you know, these particular fantasies. But just to say again, my sexual needs are met, um, or at least enough that I can go for periods of months and months and months to even years of not really having a desire to worship straight men. So that, is something which I've also experienced. But it seems to be when my sexual needs aren't being met that this urge arises, which I think is very important information because it suggests that I need to have a conversation with the person I am and saying, look, I'm enjoying the sex we're having, but I'm wondering if we can do a bit more of this or a bit more of that. So it's kind of a push to say, let's try something new or different and this is what I want to offer. And the person I was dating was very open to that, very receptive to that. Unfortunately, it didn't... Um, yeah, I won't go into the details of everything, but unfortunately, I um, it wasn't there, all there. Uh, so, one thing I'm trying to say here is that 
this desire, when it comes up for me, when this impulse, when this desire comes up, I know that the person I'm with is not meeting or satisfying uh, sexual needs. That's the first thing I want to say. And the second thing I want to say is that with this recent breakup, I need to really keep that in mind that I am grieving and it's painful, very painful. And those ingredients are going to be conducive to wanting to be in a place that is comfortable and easy and not vulnerable and comfortable and easy for most people is to conform to a simplistic hierarchy. Yeah. I just want to again make sure that I'm not saying that there's anything wrong in paying or worshipping anything, you know, straight men, gay men, females, non-females, non-binary. There's there's nothing bad intrinsically in that. And people do it quite happily and confidently. Just with me, I don't feel it's coming from a place of secure from a secure place of self-love. And that's the part I'm trying to wrestle with. It can never, I don't even know if it can really ever come from that place. It's always, I think kink and fantasy will always come from places of uh, challenge or belief systems that are not particularly favorable all the time. So I, 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 I know that. I mean, just look at season four. Everyone we interviewed had some sort of arousal around a particular power imbalance. And that is how it's shaped. And most people are fine. And that's that's really good. And I am mostly fine with everything. It's just that um, what I am looking for is something sustainable. And... Paying men is not sustainable for me. I don't have the resources for that. And also I get a sense of shame around that, which is what I'm trying to explore with a therapist. So that is all happening and all these myths and beliefs are hopefully will be challenged and I can honestly and emotionally connect with them and move forward. But at this moment I'm blocking and blocked and yeah, so I just wanted to, to say that with this. 